Well, hey, everybody, it is so great to be with you guys. My name is Troy. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, this is Impact Sunday here at Westside. We want to give a big shout-out to everyone at the Speedway, everyone watching online in our South Sanctuary here in Lenexa in the North Sanctuary. And is it me, or is there like an inordinate amount of red in the room? That's a funny thing. It's not kind much of, green, though. Not much green. Yeah, weird. Okay. Well, um, yeah, so, for posterity's sake, it is Super Bowl Sunday. And, and uh, the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. So we're very excited about that today, but even more excited this morning about what we get to talk to you about today here at Westside. Something that is so near and dear to our hearts is the way God is using our church, our little local community here in Kansas City and all around the world. And I have two of my very favorite people here with me today. This is Matt Adams. This is Derek Nunley. Would you please give them a hand? These guys are just heroes to our efforts to, to reach people outside the walls of the church. And uh, Matt, would you just kind of just briefly give people kind of an idea of like what, what is your area of ministry? So I try to coordinate all that Westside does outside of the walls in Kansas City, working with people from all over the world, basically, but who live here in Kansas City. Okay. And what about you, Derek? What do you do? I oversee the, uh, with my team, we oversee a lot of the global initiatives that Westside does around the world as it relates to caring for um, the vulnerable population and um, disciple and church planning. And what countries are we currently in right now? We are in uh, Guatemala, Mexico, uh, the Congo, um, Southeast Asia, India, South Africa. Wow. So That's okay. a lot of stuff. Yeah. You, yeah. you stay pretty busy. Well, we try. You try. <laughs> So, hey, you guys, when we were, when we were brainstorming, kind of, what did we want to do for Impact Sunday here? We kind of sat down in Matt's office, and we were talking about it, and the both of you introduced me to an idea of, and I want you to explain this concept, Derek, a little mm -hmm. bit, this idea of what is it relational as its relationship to material poverty? What, how would you describe that for us here today? Well, um, if, if you kind of look back in Genesis, there was this relational wholeness, and there's actually the absence of any kind of material poverty. And so um, in, that, in that state of perfect sort of shalom in, um, in Genesis and in the, in the Garden of Eden, um, you see that the, there, there was the perfect atmosphere for the flourishing of life, um, for the flourishing of relationships, for the flourishing of, of just a person and, and of creation. So there was, there was this perfect environment there. And um, there was no relational or material breakdown whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So we have this, this kind of sense there's a unity, there's a oneness between God and man mm -hmm. and other people and creation. And it's kind of like that's how it was supposed to be, right? Right. Right. So but things kind of they got messed up. And when we, when we talk about relational poverty, like that manifests itself in a few different ways. So people, people tend to think about it in a couple of different polarities. Matt, how would you describe that? Yeah, so if you're viewpoints are leaning to the political left, you might think of poverty as systemic and caused by different injustices like economic or political or social injustice. And often people on the left prefer to create government programs to address poverty. Mm -hmm. People on the right usually see poverty more as a consequence of personal behavior. And so they resist government programs and try to say to the individual, you know, Take responsibility for where you are. Mm. If you're, if, but you, if you've never experienced poverty, you might think that poverty was just a lack of material things. We know, though, it's about much more than that. Mm. 
In fact, if we really want to address change, lasting change, including material poverty, we have to address the brokenness that's in all of us, the brokenness of sin. And we have to try to restore the relationship that we're intended to have with God, with self, with others, and with creation. Simply put, material poverty is just one consequence or one symptom of relational poverty. Uh, okay, so sin enters the world. It breaks up the way it was intended to be. So how would you describe that, that perfect situation? Like how are, how are mankind supposed to flourish? How are we supposed to um, relate to God and each other? Well, we use this thing called a relational, um, relational wheel. And in that, there's these four spokes on this wheel. And the first spoke is the um, relationship with God. And in Genesis 3.8, we, we see that Adam walked with God daily mm -hmm. in the garden. There was, you know, perfect unity with God. Right. Um, the second spoke is the relationship with self. There was sort of this absence of shame and guilt. Um, they were content um, where, they, where they were. Um, then there was the relationship with others in Genesis uh, 2.25. It also talks about that. And you can see that Adam and Eve were completely vulnerable um, with each other. There was a high level of trust. There was also no shame or no guilt there. And then um, also uh, on the fourth spoke there is the relationship with creation. And um, God put Adam in charge of creation. And so he entrusted the care of the animals. I mean, he named the animals. Um, he, he cared for the garden. There was this perfect environment. So he, there was this, this wheel here that has these four spokes, and that was the perfect relational atmosphere. And when, when that was in its perfect state, there was no material wants or needs or poverty at that time. So you say this is what we would call a shalom. It's like this yes. oneness. Everything is integrated. There's harmony, mm -hmm. right? It's balanced. Everything is flourishing. That's how things were intended to be, right? Absolutely. And then, Matt, as you said earlier, then sin kind of enters the picture and it busts things up. So how would you describe the way that works? Yeah, so humankind is hardwired for an intimate relationship with God. We're made for that. We need that. So when that spoke of the wheel is missing, it affects every other spoke. As, as the wheel turns, as, the, as we live our lives, those other areas, creation and self and others, they begin to try to carry the weight of the whole wheel, and, and they can't do it. They break, and the wheel is damaged. And so we are damaged. And, but it's a lot more than just material poverty. So think of it in this way. So, for example, the, the relationship with self. If you're materially poor, your relationship with self might lead to a sense of low self-worth or a lack of importance in your own life. You see yourself as invaluable or of no value. If you're materially non-poor, the consequence for you might be that you're arrogant or you're overconfident. You, you don't think you need anybody. In your relationship with creation, in the materially poor, uh, you might not work at all, but we're made to work. In fact, through our work, it's how we provide for ourselves and how we can be generous to others. If you're materially non-poor, you, you might work all the time and see have no balance in your life. If, in your relationship with others, the, the, it's probably the most significant because if our relationship with others is, is weak or broken, 
It leads to things like absentee fathers and violence and child abuse. And every one of these is a significant cause of material poverty. But here's the, here's the deal. Brokenness affects all of us, not just the materially poor. So the wheel gets deformed. It starts breaking down. It's bumping along, right? And the longer it goes along in this, this state, the more busted up it gets, yes. right? And then we find ourselves in these like really uh, strange relationships with God and with others and even with ourselves. So how, would you, how else would you paint that picture, Derek? Well, um, I would say that um, if you try to address material poverty without addressing the relational poverty, you're not going to address the material poverty. That's just not going to happen. Um, but if you go at it addressing the relational poverty in conjunction with material poverty, you're actually able to address these things. You know, if you look in, as we were talking about in Genesis there, when sin entered the world, that's when creation started to start to fall apart. Our relationship with others and self and with God started to fall apart. And that's the part that has to be restored. And we know, you know, through scripture that that at some point will be completely restored. Yeah. Um, but we have to look at both of these things and in conjunction as uh, working together instead of just looking at dealing with a material situation um, and ignoring the relational side of things. Yeah. And the commonality is we have this broken relationship with God that impacts everything else. And you said, we've got a little bit of a video we wanted to show. Yeah, so we're, we've got a video that we're gonna show that talks a little about relational poverty, but it talks about it in two different contexts. It talks about it in sort of our, um, our context here of what it might look like in, in a, a city in the United States, and then also what it looks like with a woman um, on the other side of the world. So um, here's a short video on that. This is Anne. She lives with her husband and two children in their four bed, two and a half bath suburban house. She and her husband both work full time and all their needs are covered. They have a stocked kitchen every week, three cars, an annual vacation, and all they've ever wanted. Yet, Anne is tired. She feels more fulfilled at work than at home. At least she can do something right there. So she works long hours to avoid arguments, loneliness, and the feeling that she isn't enough, something her mother never failed to point out when she was growing up. At times, she sits in her car as she heads to the next thing. Her chest tightens with each tick of the clock, anxiety building. All she wants to do is sit on the couch and read a book. All her physical needs are met, but Anne is relationally broken. This is Parvatama. She's an untouchable, a part of the lowest caste, India's traditional social class system, and lives in the slums. Her mother is an outcast, unable to enter the village, and is only allowed to work low-paying jobs. To provide an income for herself, Parvatama's mother offers her as a servant to a goddess at the local Hindu temple. When Parvatama reaches puberty, she is sold as a sex slave. At 14, she has a daughter, and at 26, she discovers she has AIDS. She worries about herself and her daughter now that she cannot work, and she decides to dedicate her own daughter to the goddess. Though Anne has material wealth, both women are experiencing what we call relational poverty. Neither one is experiencing God's original design for the human relational experience. We are all relationally broken. 
As we strive to go beyond addressing material poverty like food and shelter, we can fall into the trap of neglecting the root cause, which is being relationally broken with God, self, others, and creation. When we allow God to lead us towards relational restoration, we are holistically equipped to address material poverty. In the end, we can only bring real, lasting hope when we address the whole person, spiritual, relational, and then the material. Boy, that's sure powerful, the way it paints that picture of just uh, just the common need that we have, where universally as people, we're broken in our relationship with God, and the only way to get to that restoration is to reestablish that connection with him. But So Matt, how else does that manifest itself here in our context? So as an example, uh, a real-life example, a few weeks ago we got a call from one of our ministry partners about a woman who was desperate to get out of a very violent relationship. Her life was at risk. She needed to get away from her abuser. And, but it wasn't just her. She had three children, and she was 17 weeks pregnant. In fact, we ran across her because she had considered an abortion and through one of her partners decided to keep her baby. So she had a lot of needs, immediate needs. She was in a crisis, but she was broken relationally, not just from her abuser, the father of her children, but also she was broken in herself. She was lonely and stressed and depressed. So we worked with our partners. We met her material needs. We, we helped her find a place to live, food, shelter, clothing, all the basics, but Imagine if we stopped there. The truth is that just a few months later, she would probably be in the same situation again. In, in fact, maybe even a greater situation of need. What we needed to realize and what we do know is that she was broken relationally because she needed a relationship with God. She ne- needed to know that God cared about her and loved her and had a purpose and plan for her life. She was broken in her relationship with creation, and we know that she needed a job. In fact, not just a job, but a job that paid well so that she could provide for her family. She, we needed to address not just her material poverty. We start there, but we most of all want to address her relationship with herself, with creation, and with God. Wow. And so... Um so that's something right here in our backyard in Kansas City, but is there another way of illustrating that, how it happens overseas? Well, as, you've, uh, as you saw in the video, um, that's actually a real thing for a lot of people around the world, in, um, as it was talking about Parvatama. And we kind of look at that as that is a symptom of breakdown of a family. Um, oftentimes when there's an absent father, absent mother in some of these communities, and they're absent for a variety of different reasons, but oftentimes it's crime, it's, it's health, um, it's death. There's, a, there, there's several different things that can play into that absence of a parent and the formation of that family. You see that start to grow, and then it affects the community. So the family breakdown affects the community breakdown, which then affects you know, the, the provincial breakdown and uh, it affects the whole country at some point. And so we see this happening and we see that it, when that happens, it, it continues to grow. The material poverty continues to grow. But um, it's because 
there was a relational breakdown of some sort. And so um, we see that happening with, with children and with vulnerable adults around the world. When you guys talk about this, it reminds me of a partner we had. He, he passed away a few years ago in India. His name was Premdas. And you got to know Premdas. Premdas was like, like the Moses of India. You know, he was this amazing guy. He was, they used to joke around that he was on Premdas time, right? Because he was, <laughs> he was oblivious to the clock in all ways. And he would be walking around in his flip-flops, just like this amazing man of God leading this work here among, amongst the most impoverished, like the outcasts in India. And one of the things he used to say I thought was so powerful, he said, we do good works to build goodwill so that we can share the good news. And so what I hear you guys saying is, is there's this sense of meeting people where they're at, at their point of pain, uh, where their real, their, their physical needs are, so that in tandem with that, we can help meet them in their, their relational poverty right. as well. So Matt, if you were to describe those kinds of efforts here in Kansas City, uh, what do we have going on? Well, we have a lot going on. I'm really excited about so many of them. One of, with our school partners, for example, we equip mentors and prayer champions to come alongside children who are emotionally and socially at risk. We work with our foster and adoptive families to provide stability and support from people coming out of really difficult places. We work with homelessness and immigrants and refugees and we serve victims of human trafficking, all of that. One of the most amazing things I think I could point to is our partnership with Avenue of Life and a coalition of other partners where in the last five years we've worked to address child homelessness in our city, and we've cut child homelessness by more than 50% in the last five years. Wow. One other thing I'll say that's really amazing, yeah. as, we, as we work with students, we have a 100% high school graduation rate for the kids involved in our program. Wow. Mm. That's phenomenal. God, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I know God is doing extraordinary things overseas here. So what do those kind of efforts look like for us globally? Well, one of the, um, we've got a couple of sort of uh, what we call tip of the spear things that we do. One of them is our One Life program, which has been around for probably a little over a decade. And in that, we're able to go deep with some of the most vulnerable children in, in communities um, that we work in. Um, we have probably about 50 staff overseas that um, that helped make this happen. <clears throat> and um, we, we, we addressed the children holistically, so we're not just making sure that they have something to eat and then they're off to the next thing. Um, we address the basic needs, but we also address education, the spiritual development. We want to give them a sense of family and help them build their personal um, sort of independence. And um, we see that as a development process over multiple years. You know, when you get involved with, with a... With a young vulnerable child that's you know six or seven years old we're going to stay with them for um, probably 10 or 12 years and so hopefully we'll move them through this developmental process to where ultimately they'll be independent and, and sustainable um, young people that can in turn turn around and help help others um, as they were helped so that's that that's sort of the end goal with that and then we've also taken that, and we, we have uh, roughly about uh, 650 children that we work with um, around, around the world, and we still have 33 children left that can be sponsored uh, today. Uh, but we also take that, and we're figuring out ways to sort of scale that care 
um, into communities around the world. So we've been doing that through a, over the last probably about six years, through a discipleship training that we bring in people from um, communities, um, and I'll talk specifically about South Africa because we have a graphic that I want to show you, um, but we bring them in for a, essentially a just-in-time learning process of training them how to plant the gospel in their communities. And we do that um, by bringing them in for three days, then they go put that into practice for three months, um, and then they come back again, and we do five uh, sessions with them over an 18-month period. And in that time, we've run probably, I think it's about five different cycles of this now. And as you can see on the screen, you'll see that that's, that's grown to affecting 4,000 people that are in, involved in some sort of discipleship group, and that's got, grown into about 700 communities now. And so um, right on the front end, we implement the DNA of multiplication, that when they come in on that first training, they're gonna, the intention, they understand that they're gonna multiply themselves. And that's the only way we're gonna be able to bring this type of care to these communities. So in those um, training sessions, they learn how to care for the vulnerable. They learn how to find what's going wrong in their community and they're, essential, and they're also planning the gospel in those communities. Wow, so here's the golden question then for us here today who are watching online, who are in our various locations. We know that God is doing all these things, and we know that when we give to Westside, we can participate sort of indirectly with the work that's going on in these various areas. But, Matt, can you kind of explain to us just a little bit, like there's some, we have an event next week, so there are ways yeah. that we can get even more directly involved in this kind of care. Yeah, so next Sunday at Lenexa and the following week at Speedway, we invite you to come and have lunch with us and meet some of our ministry partners. Uh, you'll be able to hear what they do and what they, what they have to say, how you can get involved, and also... Many of our volunteers who are engaging in our city, just come check it out. Explore where you might want to get plugged in. And that's next week here, right in, in Lenexa, at, right after the 11 o'clock service, and then on the 26th at the Speedway after their last service, correct? That's right. So just show up. I don't have to bring anything. Yeah, just show up. We'll yeah. feed you. <laughs> Perfect. And uh, you alluded to this a little bit earlier about our One Life Child Sponsorship Program. You said how many kids are available right now? Yeah, we have, um, we have 33 kids that, um, that need, need sponsorship. And um, you can go talk to Lauren or Elizabeth or Michelle. They're right out in the comments there. Mm -hmm. And um, they'll help you pick out a child um, that you or your family can, can sponsor. And it's $38 a month. And... Um, we, we take that, and we're able to care for some of these uh, most vulnerable children in a very holistic way. Wow, that's powerful. And do we have that available up at the Speedway location as yes, well? Yes, we do. So we got someone representing in the comments at the Speedway and here in Lenexa. If you feel like God is kind of knocking on the door of your heart to directly impact a child, to feed and educate and clothe them for a for the long term, mm -hmm. right, we have 38 kids right now who are available we're to be sponsored. We're at 33. We have 38 Earlier, oh, yeah. we had five sponsors. So we have five sponsored after our 815 yeah. service, right? Yeah. So right now, so you can step into that need in a very, very beautiful direct way. And so, and one other thing yeah. real quick is that um, I think that one thing that makes us a little bit unique is that um, if you do sponsor a child and at some point if you want to take a trip with us overseas to meet that mm -hmm. child, right. um, oftentimes we can arrange for you to spend some time with your sponsored child one-on-one -on -one, kind of face-to-face. -face. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. So Matt, how can we as Westsiders, you know, maybe we don't have something, we're, gonna, we're not going to go on a short-term mission or anything like that right now. How can we partner in prayer with you? Yeah, so we actually prepared for that. And on your way out today, uh, you'll find these prayer cards on a table. I, just pick one up. 
and uh, use it to guide your prayers over the coming weeks as we try to impact our city and the world around us. That would be phenomenal, just to kind of directly participate in prayer with what God is doing here, and he's doing things. There, there's a hundred other stories you guys don't have time to tell right now, but what God is already accomplishing, and you can participate directly in these things. So real quickly, got your parting words, right? If you had 60 seconds to give them your, your thumbnail speech, this is what I want you to leave with today. What would you say, Derek? I would say that, Westside, you are empowered to go make a difference. And um, it's not, if, even if you don't take a trip to the other side of the world with this, you live in this community right here, and you can step out and make a, make a difference um, through maybe the filter of relational wholeness, as we've talked about, um, in your community, in your school, in your workplace, whatever it may be. Um, so I would say that's how we're, Westside is going to, you know, we're talking about scaling care here, and um, that's how we're going to do that is by each one of us reaching out to the person around us that or the people around us that are probably hurting. There's a lot of hurt in this world, and um, you are equipped, and you are empowered, and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You are you're ready to go. So um, you just have to open your ears and allow God to direct you and what that looks like for each one of you. All right, Matt, this is your shot. This is it. What do you got to say? All right, Colossians 1.17 says, The whole world was made by Christ and for Christ, and he holds it all together. If you imagine that wheel we talked about earlier, life without Christ is like a broken wheel. So lead with Jesus. Speak with Jesus. Live for Jesus. Show people around you who Jesus is. That's pretty good for parting words, Matt. Thank you. Nice job. <laughs> well, from the bottom of my heart, guys, I want to thank you so much for your heart, for your passion, for your dedication, your faithfulness, and how amazingly God is using you and the people that you lead in ministries all around the world. Would you guys give them a hand, please? And so as we, uh, we're going to enter into worship here in just a few moments, but we want to be prayerfully open to what God would want to accomplish through all of us here in this place today. You've kind of had a picture painted for you of the kinds of things that God is doing. And as people who follow hard after Jesus, right, we follow him into the places that he would go. And these are the kind of people that are at the top of Jesus' heart. He was always for the person on the outside. He was always for the person who is marginalized. And he challenges you and I as Christ followers to follow him into these places. So ask yourself, what is God calling you to do? Maybe you're called today to go out and to, and to sponsor one of these children. Maybe you might want to go to this meeting next week and just kind of investigate what, what would a next step look like in your life and in the life of your family. But most of all, Take a step towards Jesus in obedience and trust him with the consequences. Let's pray together. So Lord God, here we are, arms open wide to say that we love you, to say that we belong to you, and we're asking you to open the eyes of our hearts to see the world around us the way that you see it, that you would give us a passion and a compassion for those who are hurting all around us and that you would reveal to us a next step as we move further and further into your heart and in your compassion for the needs around us.
Thank you, Jesus, for this community. Thank you that we are a family. Thank you that we are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of the living God. Give us wisdom and courage and clarity to move forward in the great name of Jesus.